Hey, welcome back, everybody, to episode five of Brewing with Conviction over here at Conviction Gaming. I'm Chris Martin, and I'm once again joined by co-host Jesus Garcia. Jesus, what's up, bud? How you doing? Doing all right. Been an eventful day, at least. Yeah, that's good, yeah. I'm, we were just talking offline here. Uh, Jesus just picked up this really sweet altar, uh, Soul Ring. Uh, we'll actually be referencing that at one point as we talk through this cast. But to intro the cast and what we're going to be discussing tonight, we're we're going to be focusing on MTG Finance, Magic Finance, um, but from kind of a, a beginner perspective. So I'm going to share a lot of my thoughts and experiences, answering some questions that are that are you know common. I think if you're just kind of starting out to to be introduced to what what MTG Finance really means or what it is. And then some of the, you know, offer some key insights and tips into how you can maximize your collection's value and really just, you know, what are the tools out there that are available to you to keep an eye on your collection and, and ensure that you're playing magic is, you know, basically as cheaply as you possibly can. So Jesus, uh, I, I know in the MTG finance space, it's, it's kind of my wheelhouse and, and, you know, we complement each other really nicely because your wheelhouse is brewing, mine is pretty much MTG finance. And, and I think we both dabble on the other side of the spectrum, but I think tonight we'll chat through this. I'm, I'm excited to hear some of your questions and, and dive into it. Yeah. I mean, I really didn't get into MTG finance until I started seeing your quiet speculation articles way back end of 2018. After we like pretty much right after we met, you sent me a link to one of them and I thought I'd check it out. And from there, I've been dabbling here and there buying, selling to some people locally, nothing too much. I know you started reading those articles and, and you would mention here and there saying like, Hey, yeah, I sold off these things or, you know, I was able to pick up this cheaply. And so I appreciated that back 2018, 2019, you would, you'd be like, Hey, I got this card. They're like, I remember Padim, I think I sold you a copy of Padim and, and then it went up a bunch and stuff. And so I was able to get you a decent deal on that. And so, yeah, yeah it, it's good times. <laughs> but like going into kind of expanding my scope here um you, i often look at the conviction gaming or discord here and there are some numbers that just go right over my head some things i can kind of understand what you guys are talking about and then in terms of your speculation stuff like that i'm kind of like that makes too much sense <laughs> um but like from a beginner's perspective because i relatively speaking i'm still a beginner my um my wheelhouse when it comes to paying attention to finance and stuff is watching for altars, looking for artists, get something unique, and go for a long-term investment there. I don't really flip on the short term like you guys do. Uh, you mentioned, like, what are the what are good ways for people to start off? Because, honestly, I'm kind of, again, I buy and sell locally. I don't really do too much outside of that. Uh, what are some good ways to kind of set up market like you have? I think first of all, I, I have a big benefit of having the Chicago style gaming, you know, kind of bending experience. So I actually see a lot of sales trends, kind of nat almost naturally, just because I have so much inventory listed. And I'm very, I'm like small, I'm small potatoes compared to the large vendors. I have probably roughly five thousand cards listed, and you know, most of these, even even like a medium sized vendor, probably has ten x that. So anyway, I I do see some sales trends, but the way I really encourage uh, a, a player just kind of entering mtg finance to be honest with you it's it's understanding what you like to play and what trends you and your friends are are 
experiencing kind of locally in your your you know immediate play group and maybe expand that by like one degree of separation to your you know acquaintances at your LGS. You know, everybody's talking about Niv Mizzet Perun. Well, that's a real example. When we were up in GP Milwaukee, when I first met you, I actually started listening around when we were at the command zone and at the GP and, you know, just playing commander and drafting. And everybody was talking about how powerful Niv Mizzet Perun was. And it was funny because I wrote, I actually wrote an article shortly after GP Milwaukee about Niv Mizzet Perun in EDH and like the potential of an EDH deck. And I brewed one for myself which I ended up building, you've seen it play out. Um, but why that was, it's a lot of fun. But why that was so important was because at the time I heard all the, all this buzz at, at GP Milwaukee, like people talking about Nim Mizzet Perun. And it was like six or seven different people talking about it. And it, it just sparked the idea. I was like, man, I actually think Niv, you know, I'm listening to these people talking about the potential. And I think they're right. I wonder if Niv and, and more importantly, the cards that synergize with Niv are, you know, what I would call quote unquote underpriced. So when I got back from GP Milwaukee, I wrote that article. I think I wrote it like it might have been the same night. It might have been like that Sunday night. And I started looking at cards that synergize well with Niv and, you know, started seeing like Pillar of the Peruns, which is a great way to cast Niv. It's a it's a land that allows you to cast multicolor and uh, any you any you can spend any mana to cast a multicolor spell with, with that. And that was just like one example of a card that I think I mentioned, which ended up, of course, spiking later on. It, it ended up being like two or three times the value within about three months of that because Niv really did catch on. And so to, to kind of bring that home and, and you know answer your question, it's the, the best place to start is, is local to your play group and to even just to yourself, be perceptive of the, the cards that you're seeing, especially newer cards, the synergies that they create, and and you know understanding what the the buzz or the hype is in that moment, and then if you notice that and and you either want to play with the card, or um, you think your friends might want to play with the card, go pick one up if you can afford it. Go pick two up. Uh, there's there's a few people, a few different content creators out there who will say, if you want to play with a card, buy a second one because it'll, eventually it will pay for itself. Uh, and I kind of believe in that. I, I think that's a real solid tip that content creators offer. I'm just happy I didn't get a second box opal. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Okay, so realistically speaking, then I'm going the right steps, just starting with my local group, figuring out what they're playing, and just kind of buying and selling around that. But I noticed you guys mentioned like Card King of Buy Lists, MTG Stocks, uh, and a few other tools I'm not entirely familiar with. How would you guys use those to help push for uh, for an alert some uh, even like a small market online right yeah so it, it kind of depends on what your what your audience is for who you're selling to if you're selling to friends and this is probably a really good point because we we talked about you know i kind of want to touch on what is mtg finance and and like what's the good elements of it what are the bad elements of it what gets you know what kind of gives mtg finance a bad rep uh, a, a, a bad reputation in the community. And so like, if you've got people in your local area that are trying to rip people off or, you know, we're, so this is the relevancy of that soul ring that it's the opposite. And you, you've got, in your case of you are a very good standing kind of quote unquote citizen in the community where you actually felt the artists undervalued their work. And you, you, you work, you, I think paid $10 more than the, I think they were asking what 45 and you paid 55 including shipping yeah. or something like that. So, so that's, that's like the great side of MTG finance where you have people like that who are 
are giving back, you know, to the community or, or valuing the, especially in the case of alters, they're valuing the work even more so maybe than the individual. It's, it's almost like a confidence booster for those folks, um, which I think you did an amazing thing by doing that. But in terms of uh, your audience and, and like who you're selling to, if you're, if you're just selling to your friends in the area, the, the best tools you, that, that's going to keep your, your, um, you know, your overall audience in terms of sales very low. You're, you're probably not going to be like flipping a lot of cards. You even mentioned that you said you don't really flip. You're not, you're not like quick flipping. Like in my case, I'm vending. So I'm actually taking inventory and turning around selling it. And you know, the, the volume is high and the margins are low. In your case, you're looking maybe at selling one card a month, for example, or even trading, uh, you know, trying to get value through trades. And to do that, there's along with just, you know, being perceptive of the, your own meta and who's, who's got hype for what and who's excited for what, there's a few really good tools uh, to, to look at. I think the first point is, is www.mtgstocks.com. There's a page on that website called Interests. And every night it refreshes at around 2, sorry, it's about 3 a.m. Eastern time. And the, the refresh of that ends up showing all the cards that moved in you know, a certain amount of percentage. And you can kind of play with filters and you know, show cards that moved as much as 1% or 10% or, you know, $1 or zero, even $0. You can get it really granular. Um, but it, it shows trends over time and it also can show trends kind of in the immediate moment. So I love, I, I love using MTG stocks, the interest page, because it, especially if you look for diamonds in the rough, when you scroll down you find cards that maybe moved, you know, 5%, for example. So clearly there was somebody or, you know, multiple people out there who went on TCG player, bought some cards and the price inherently kind of went up because the cheapest copies came off the market. Uh, by the way, MTG stocks, for those who don't know, uses data from TCG player. So they connect into an API through, a, through TCG player and that's how they get their prices. So they compare basically like a Delta from the day prior to say, okay, that card was $2 yesterday and now it's $5 today. So it increased, you know, $3 or uh, what would that be? 200% or whatever, not 200, it'd be like 150%. Um, so in those scenarios though, MTG stocks, it, it shows you what's spiked and it also shows you just what's kind of trending. And I love looking for that like 5%, 10% threshold because those are typically cards that are moving. They're, they're starting to, you know, ascend in price and in value and in demand but they're not like sold out. They're not three times the price that they were the night prior. They're, they're still copies available that are cheap enough that it's reasonable to buy them if you need them to play with, or if you just want to speculate and, and, you know, assume that they're going to go up in value long-term. But yeah, we had a little bit of discussion. Yeah, no, honestly, I have looked at MTG stocks every once in a while, but most of their numbers in terms of the long-term trends, that's kind of where I've been paying attention. I haven't been looking at their day-to-day -day trends tool, which is actually nice to know about. But lately, I've been looking online, and like you mentioned earlier, MTG Finance gets a really bad rap. Going on, well, with all the buyouts, uh, people taking advantage of that, um, people inflating the price, rumors of insider trading stuff like that kind of it make it makes it frustrating if you want to get into it because then you're just grouped up with that clump of people and kind of makes it hard to figure out whether or not you even want to do it 
I've admittedly, so I used to be a big time proponent. A lot of people know this on Twitter and, you know, people that I've followed and been followed by for, you know, three, three, four years now, they know that I was a big proponent of MTG finance. I, I was one of the most vocal about it. I would defend it. I actually got into a big, big argument in, over Twitter because uh, there were there were leaks of Modern Horizons last year, and the the long story short on that debate and, and argument, et cetera, was that there was one camp, which is I was a part of this camp, the MTG Finance world, where we were like, we don't take advantage of this stuff, but then within that camp, there were these bad apples that were taking advantage, that were going out and buying Sliver Queens at I don't know, 40 bucks, for example, because they knew slivers were in Modern Horizons because of the leaks. And this wasn't a public leak. It wasn't like something that was posted on Reddit. It was people that had insider insider knowledge, insider trading, where someone from like a distributor, we don't know where the source came from exactly, but somebody leaked it to somebody and then they leaked it to somebody else. And next thing you know, there's like these rumors swirling that it flusterstorm and slivers and, you know, whatever are uh, snow, uh, snow mana or snow permanence are in and they were all right all the leaks were correct and i i ate my words because i couldn't believe i thought that the leaks were just all rumors when the people were you know grilling them and then i got told about these leaks before they spoiled and i couldn't believe it. and i just ate my words and i saw you know these spikes on if you go back and look at mtg stocks actually go to like sliver queen you can pull up the exact time where somebody went in, it probably wasn't one person, it's probably a lot of people, went in, bought tons of copies of Sliver Queen. And like overnight in April, roughly, Sliver Queen doubled in price. And it was like, why is Sliver Queen going up? Oh, well, it's on the reserve list. Um, you know, it, 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 it's a great sliver. Like, you know, oh, there's speculation. You know, and all of a sudden you hear this rumor, oh, there's speculation that slivers are going to be back in Modern Horizons. And it's like, well, that's a weird thing for, that's like a very random thing for someone to just come up and say, sure enough, in June, slivers everywhere. First sliver, cloud shredder sliver, boom, 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 sliver, sliver, sliver. And now all of a sudden, oh, and Moral found on top of it. And it's like, oh, okay, so somebody knew something we didn't, right? And, and now I'm eating it because I have to spend $90 on a sliver queen. <laughs> No, it's it's tough that that's out there, and I I definitely don't advocate for any of that. I, I'm very much against that. I I still am a believer. It's kind of like the you know like Star Wars, like there's good in him. <laughs> I still believe that there's MTG finance. There's a a good side of MTG finance. There are a lot of there. There's a lot more content creators on the MTG finance side who are proponent for the right things of of what mcg finance is all about mcg finance is not meant to screw people over to be the the evil cabal that's like the, the assholes of the world that are taking advantage of all the people who are unknowing we're not as a group intending to do that by any stretch of the imagination what mtg finance aims to do is two things it aims to share information with everybody publicly as much as possible leaks aside those are a whole different you know, animal to deal with. And, and those are a really, I think, bad side, not just of MTG finance, but of the community as a whole. They bring out a lot of the worst elements of our community. What we are very capable of doing with MTG finance is sharing information like things like deck lists, what's up and coming in Pioneer, what's 
the latest EDH buzz, those type of things, and staying ahead of the curve so that you're buying an inverter of truth, for example, in, you know, if you were in our Conviction Gaming Discord, the day Thassa's Oracle was spoiled, I mentioned, hey, works really well in inverter of truth or with inverter of truth, which is also legal and pioneer, just threw it out there. I went out and picked up six copies for 25 cents each, and I was selling them for like four or five dollars. You know, yeah, I'm I'm selling those. I'm taking I'm making a profit on that. But if I was a player, I just bought my copies for a dollar, and now I can go to a an event, uh, you know, for for way cheaper than it's going to cost me six weeks later when it turns out that my idea of inverter of truth and Thassa's Oracle was actually a good idea. Um, so anyway, that's that's the type of thing. That's the good side of MTG Finance. We're trying to keep the game cost effective and cheap as possible, so that when you're playing on a budget, you don't have to build a deck around Inverter or Truths that costs you twenty dollars to buy. You're buying those for four dollars, or maybe even eight dollars, for example. Um, it, it tends to save a lot of money in the long run. Yeah, this was uh, something you actually mentioned way back. What? Uh three, four months ago when we originally were discussing getting this started. Like you said, that a big part of what you wanted to do with this is to help people build on cheaper when they wanted to brew. And That's exactly that right. was and that kinda resonated with me considering that's the entirely what I did with Brea. I would watch the trends involving specific artifacts, buy them on the low and hold on to them. Like, that's why Brea took me so long to build. I didn't finish her until after, what, two years from my initial brew that you saw in way back? Right. Yeah, and I mean, not everybody has that kind of patience. I have that kind of patience, too. So if you have that, that ability to hold off and, you know, slowly accrue the pieces, it, you can build really expensive decks. I mean, in your case, the Brea deck is, you know, I think we were talking about this. It's, it's multiple thousands of dollars that you put into that over a couple of years. And that, that, that is like not only a pride and joy for you, you know, personally, because it's like your favorite deck, your best deck. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) It's also a really strong investment because a lot of the cards in your deck, you've foiled out, you've gotten like the masterpieces, you've gotten some really nice, you know, collectible pieces that are less you know they're less susceptible to things like reprints for example they're less susceptible to uh going out of style because they're in brea brea is one of the more popular commanders ever printed to date um you know so those type of things it's the same feeling i have with my scion of the ur dragon deck that thing is totally loaded but where where i got most of those cards 10 years ago to where it's at now not all the cards because some of them are newer certainly but the majority of the cards in that deck are older and I paid prices back then that were, you know, peanuts compared to what it's worth now. And, you know, you could say that about a lot of decks. I mean, that that's kind of EDH as a whole. When the de- when when players build their collections out, I don't know that every player really appreciates or necessarily understands the the magnitude of the value that they're holding in any given 100 card EDH deck. Or even conversely, you know, modern standard and pioneer, where and even obviously legacy. But I think legacy players do understand this entirely because they're those. Those are people who are also probably collectors. They've been with the game for a while, and the you know, kind of for the majority. But like, if you're holding a standard deck and you hold that thing into rotation, you're basically going to watch money light light itself on fire because at you know, within about three months of rotation all the cards that are rotating start to drop in price. They start to 
tank and you know by by july roughly figure rotation happens at the end of september by the end of july two months out those cards are already starting to feel serious pressure because the players that are aware of what's happening with rotation have already started moving their copies out and the kicker on that is that vendors know that rotation's coming so they stop buying the cards as aggressively on top of it right they have a hard they're gonna have a harder time moving those cards out so it's things like that it's those are like more detailed, like, you know, kind of expanded uh, intermediate to advanced levels of MTG finance where you have to start thinking about the cycles and the trends. And, you know, you put piece together all these sort of macro things that are happening within the within the community and put that into your your, you know, your thought process as you go to buy a card and or sell a card. Yeah, I mean, I remember. Um, when Ixalan was rotating, the I was like, okay, how, oh, okay, how many packs do I, oh, should I pick up, stuff like that, and versus how much is the, oh, uh, how much of that is going to just be lit on fire because the, some of the rares and stuff would be worthless. And I started to, at that point, that was right around when I started to really double down on my Una, and I'm like, okay. What cards do I actually want from Ixalan? I'll just buy those singles while they're on the low pre-rotation with max supply. And then, well, I mean, post-rotation with low supply, but which ones would still climb in cost? And the big one was the uh, Search for Escanta. I remember I was like digging for a Search for Escanta for pretty much most of uh, GP Milwaukee back in 2018. And God, I only found one, and I needed a second one for another deck I was brewing. And luckily, Brian was super nice because I was helping your brother out build his first EDH deck and ended up throwing one my way. Now, like, that card's been on a slow and steady climb back up because it's just a solid piece. Exactly. Yeah, you, you probably actually, because you've read these when I when I was writing for Quiet Speculation, I used to write the Chris's Commander Corner, and I that was I, I that was basically the title of a lot of my articles, or like, not the title, but like the the theme of a lot of the articles, and and the whole point of those articles in general was evaluating various takes on EDH, whether I was writing about Tesa or Niv Mizzet or you know some commander that I thought was going to be really popular, I was pretty good about identifying what commanders were going to be popular before they got popular and picking out the cards that were important in those. I, I can go back and look at some of those articles and I'm like, wow, I'm really happy at how those picks came out. But my favorite, my favorite segments that I did were both in 2018 and 2019, I wrote articles called preparing for rotations, Chris's commander corner, preparing for rotation essentially. And each of those articles I would cover kind of chronologically the set that would be rotating or the sets that would be rotating and i'd pick out you know i don't know five cards ballpark four four to six four to six cards ballpark that i felt you if you could wait past rotation they were cards that edh players love so search was actually one of the ones i wrote about and i don't remember if we talked about that or not but search was one that i wrote about where i said this card sees a lot of play in standard around teferi it's seen modern play, but it's kind of, you know, the modern play is slowing down a little bit because it's being outclassed. And there's a lot of supply coming online. Wait on this card. Wait until, till, you know, it rotates end of September. Give it four to eight weeks and buy a copy before the holidays. And you're going to watch that card when you get it at that time. You're going to see search go up, you know, and eventually it's going to probably 
double from where you paid for it, give it six months, 12 months, if it doesn't get reprinted. Sure enough, I'm, I'm fairly confident now, if you look at search for Escantia, uh, Escantia compared to when I called that out, it's gone up probably about 40 to 60%. No, search has just been, search was one of my proud speculations because we didn't talk about that at all. I'm just kind of like, wait a second, this is seen plain modern, but this is just such a huge card advantage powerhouse. I need it. So I was really happy about that. Um, just I pulled up the the graph on it, and and so search rotated just a few months, or you know, it was back in September that it rotated out with Dominaria, and it plummeted. So I wrote my article in roughly like Jul late July, early August, and the card was trending around ten dollars. It went all the way down. You could get copies for between five and six dollars for about three months. Right around the time my article went live is when it hit the low. And then it started ascending back in uh, November. Sure enough, guess where it went back up to ten dollars. So you, if you paid five or six, you're sitting on a card that you know has gone up roughly forty percent. Yeah, and oh God, it's kind of weird thinking about these older cards like um, Padim. I ended up buying my non-foil version of Padim way back for like a quarter. Where's one and then I know non-foil PDM and no, well has gone up since because we've talked previously how it's either all foil or all non-foil. Uh, let's see where he's sitting at right now, actually. But I know I he's just, gone up, and I can tell you, I just sold a couple copies of PDM last week for about a dollar twenty-five a piece. I think I sold two copies that included the seventy-eight cent shipping charge on TCG Player. But yeah, it was like it was like a dollar twenty-five, roughly rounded. Yeah, um, and I bought, like I still yeah, sitting on that here, and I'm just kind of like, okay, so it just went up to five times its old value. Yeah, now you can now you can trade that for like uh, this is kind of a funny older joke that a lot of players that have been around for a long time would understand, but you can trade that for like a lightning bolt now. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, it, it, before that was just basically a bulk rare, and now you could trade it for a lightning bolt potentially. So um, anyway, that's yeah, it, it's it's moves like that that. You add up a bunch of those as a collector, a player, you know, someone who's focused on the value of your collection, and suddenly, you know, you're you're paying. You have to, like we were saying, and I always preach this: you have to have patience. But if you have the patience and you build a deck over time, you can find yourself paying a fraction of what you would have paid had you just kind of bought in the moment. Um, another tip. Jesus, that I want to mention. So, you, because you, we've been kind of on this topic, just, you know, what are some of the best tips and tools to get started with learning MTG finance? And, and so I talked about MTG stocks. I really, really value that. I definitely highly recommend bookmarking that and just, you know, get in the habit of checking it, even if it's twice or three times a week. Um, you, you know, treat it like you're flossing, for example. I guess flossing isn't, I guess there's probably some people out there who floss twice a day, but I have a hard time flossing every day. And anyway, MTG stocks, get, get that in the habit where you floss, you brush your teeth, and then you check MTG stocks. And it, you know, look at a few cards, look at the interest page, see what's going on, maybe even add cards to like a watch list of, of cards that you want to acquire for your decks and put them into you know, maybe a spreadsheet or even like a notepad or something. And just quick search them. You know, you can bookmark the the URL directly to those cards and check them every couple of days. Pick a price that you feel comfortable at. So if a card is $10 and you think that's too much, I'll, I'll give you a great example of this. Arcane Signet. Arcane Signet was being like, a, it was being charged $10 to $15 a copy 
when the brawl decks first came out because there wasn't enough supply to go around and i felt like man i was like i don't want to i'm not paying that much money for that i'll just run like a, a felwer stone or something I, i'm not paying ten dollars for arcane signet so i waited i didn't have any for command fest chicago and sure enough now they're i don't know four to five dollars roughly you can get copies at, at you know a half almost a third of what they were going for at release that's you know that that's patience it took five months for that to happen so i had to wait and i had to, i literally had to go to command fest chicago and i didn't have a copy of it and, and it is what it is and so maybe my deck is mildly underpowered because of that but it was worth it you know it's worth saving those six dollars because when you do that a hundred times over it adds up it adds up very quickly yeah um that's kind of another part like when do you like where should you kind of draw the line as that leads into one of my thought questions i want to lead where do you draw the line as where do you think a card is no longer worth buying uh like and in terms of patience like where do you think are like how do you know when you should just cut yourself off and say no i don't want it yeah i think to answer that it starts with so it depends on the scenario. A card is always one that I avoid if it has recently gone through what we call a spike, right? A price spike where it's, you know, for whatever reason, whether a speculator called it out and so there was just a run on a card, you know, a bunch of people bought it on speculative purposes only. Or, you know, I think more importantly, it's when the card is going up because there's a real demand for it. If you're a player and you need Inverter of Truth, for example, because there's Pioneer events this weekend, you had to buy your copies. I mean, you don't really have a choice. So in the case of Inverter of Truth, it, your best bet is the moment that you see that Inverter of Truth is a card that you need, go out and grab a copy. This is, this is probably the best time to buy because the reality is that card's on the move. If you just discovered it, odds are another person probably just discovered it as well. But if you were late to the game, right? So you go out there and you're like, I don't even know what Inverter of Truth is. I, I can't imagine this card's worth anything. Check MTG stocks first and go see what it was worth. And it turns out, oh, wow, I could get copies of this yesterday for 25 cents and now they're $7. Do I really want to pay that? And that's where you have to kind of ask yourself as a player. It's like, well, I'm going to this event. I'm already registered. I, you, you may not have a choice at that point. You might just have to buy the copies. But there might be an alternative, which, which is to say, well, I'm going to play a different deck or, you know, or maybe you look around, maybe somebody can hook you up and you're going to lend, uh, borrow copies from a friend, right? Those are, you know, certain, I guess, alternatives that I don't think everyone uses uh, effectively enough. And I think a lot of people chase card spikes, essentially. They, they I shouldn't call it chasing, but they, they buy out of necessity and therefore they have to pay premiums because the cards are gone because all these other players and speculators alike are out there buying these copies up and now they're stuck paying $3, $4, whatever it is, instead of the 25 cents. The other answer to this question, Jesus, is come join the Conviction Gaming Discord or any one of the like that are out there. There are a ton of discords and, and Twitter folks that you can pay attention to um, you know, and, and give follows to. There's YouTube channels. There's a lot of sources of information that really don't take up a ton of your time to stay on top of this. And so like if you were in our Discord, the Inverter Truth, I keep using that example because it's very fresh, you would have seen that the day that Thassa's Oracle came out when I posted it. And I wasn't like 
go by every inverter of truth that you can possibly find. I just said, hey, this is legal and pioneer. Well, sure enough, it turns out that that ended up being a really like, you know, I ended up getting call it luck, whatever you want to call it, getting, you know, fortunate that I mentioned that. And there were people in Conviction Gaming's Discord who went out and got that card. And and whether they are playing with it now or they've sold it for, you know, 5x, 10x, either way, they, they ended up kind of profiting, you know, respectively on that card. Um, so I definitely encourage looking around if you're if you're not familiar with you know with MTG finance, use the resources, whether they're the free ones or the paid ones. There are plenty of good ones out there. I'm a huge advocate for my, you know, I used to write for Quiet Speculation, huge advocate for them. They're a little bit more on the advanced level. I, I don't necessarily advocate for them as like starting out with MTG finance, but come stop in conviction gaming learn a little bit and then go over to quiet speculation, learn a little bit about finance. And if you, if you love it, we're our, our discord's free, come in here, learn a little bit and then go over to quiet speculation and you can, you know, turn up your game. That's a, that's a totally viable option in my opinion. And I think a lot of people could benefit from those type of, you know, interactions. Now you saw, like, I wasn't really like, I, I followed your articles on quiet spec, but I didn't follow too much stuff like that. I didn't really transition over completely. You know, I'm a brewer. I have a hundred decks on my mind. I'm not going to buy them all. But especially considering you, like you, like we both agreed on, you kind of need patience for this kind of stuff, especially if you're trying to get things done long term. Definitely. I have three decks in the making, and I think two of them I've had in the making since probably this time last year. <laughs> and so just to give you perspective, they're, they're decks that I've, literally been sitting on and acquiring like one card here and there because the card ended up you know whether i saw a cheap copy listed randomly on tcg player or uh you know or or maybe i threw it in to get to the free shipping threshold on card kingdom for example uh, i'll give you a really really good tip here this is probably uh, of all the tips that i can offer this is something that i've never heard someone else say not to say that other people aren't doing this but it's something that has worked for me extremely well i've said it one other time on one other podcast and i'll i'll maybe i should start beating this up and, and saying it a lot more often set a watch list using the save for later feature on the tcg player site almost every player knows what tcg player is i gotta think 60 to 70 to maybe 80 or 90 percent i don't even know what the number is a lot of people buy their cards through TCG player exclusively. And if you are one of those people who even uses TCG player, you don't have to buy through TCG player exclusively, but if you use it, pick out the cards you want, put them in your save for later, note the price on the card when you do that, and then watch it. You don't have to refresh, you don't have to save a link, you don't have to do anything. All you have to do is put it in the save for later, and when those prices go up or down, you will see that in your save for later change naturally as you refresh the page. I'll give you a great example of how this played out for me recently. I really wanted a copy of Nico Bolas, uh, The Ravager, the Core, core Set 2019 card. The, the, the card at the time that I wanted it was just starting to scratch the surface and see play in Pioneer. So the price was already trending up and I saw that and I noticed it and I was like, wow, I don't really want to pay $19 for a non-foil, but I really want a foil copy for my collection. You know I love dragons. It's a, it's one of the dragons I don't have in my collection that I really want. And I was like, well, this is a type of card that I'd be willing to pay $40 for in foil. And at the time, there weren't any foil copies under $50. They were all like 
the the lowest was like 52 i think for a lightly played and then everything trended up from there and into the 60s so what did i do well i added it to my cart i added a lightly played and a near mint copy and they were like 52 and 55 at the time and then every day or two i would go in and i'd you know check and see if there was any progress and you know in the price dropping one day i go in and there and the lightly played says 39.95 i'm like oh my gosh that's my price i want 40 dollars boom went in bought it on the spot it was still there i didn't you know i got very fortunate no one else bought it it was well under the tcg low bought it and i have my copy now and and i saved what 12 dollars roughly it was probably it's probably actually a little bit more than that i don't know what the card's at now but in my mind, I saved money, right? And and it doesn't really matter. I got it for the price I was willing to pay. And I did it through this, you know, this refresh process on TCG player. Strongly encourage that. Be happy to write that up. If if you maybe, you know, hey Zeus, if you want to try that out for yourself and let me know if it's reasonable, I could write that up if it is and, and put it into an article and just show some pictures on how it works day over day. Um, if you have the patience for that, it saves you money. It really saves you money. Yeah, honestly, I actually didn't think about that at all. I've just been individually looking up the cards every like week or so, and I'm kind of like, well, this is annoying. <laughs> it, it is. I mean, if you, you know, there's people out there who I know people who do this. And, and in fact, actually, I used to do this because I learned it from some other friends years ago. Uh, they would just, they would get the direct URL to the card that they would need. So like, using the Nico Bolas example, they would copy and paste and bookmark that URL. And then they would go into it very similar to what I do. They would go into it every day. The problem with that strategy that I got so frustrated with is like, I want 25 cards at once. I don't want to have to go into 25 different URLs. So instead I add them to my cart and I can just go in and click through and see like, oh, this card, Lotus Field has been in my cart forever. That's a great example one. I've had that in my cart forever. I'm not willing to pay the price that it's at. I want to say it's like $10 to $12. I'm like, no, I'm not paying that price for a in, in a block standard eligible foil. It's just not going to happen. So I'm waiting. And if I, if I miss out and that card ends up being a $20 foil for its lifetime and I, you know, I don't end up getting the price that I wanted. So be it. I'll, I'll, I'll live with that. But I would say more often than not cards, they're very cyclical. And so if you do have the patience, you will see cards end up back at prices that you want, especially when they're, they're not on the reserve list. Reserve list cards are a little bit different of an animal because they don't have the reprint eligibility. So they, while they do retrace as well, just like anything would with supply and demand, they have a lot harder of a time going to lower and lower floors. Basically, every time a reserve list card spikes, it it will almost i shouldn't say every time the majority of the time when a reserve list card spikes if it is a reasonably good card it will end up settling at a higher price than it used to be at so we call that a higher floor like if you're you know talking about like a finance terms higher floor higher ceiling it, it will move to a higher floor and so if it was eight dollars before the spike it might settle at twelve dollars after that doesn't happen as often with non-reserve lists because they have the risk of reprint. And we've seen Wizards lately been reprinting cards like crazy. So, so. what you're saying is I should pick up my bubble matrix now. <laughs> and I have copies of it, so you probably don't even need to buy it. I, I can hook you up with one of those. That card is so, <laughs> is so underrated, by the way. Oh, it's so underrated, and it's just hilarious. I love the art. So good. Anyway. Going back on topic. Um, so... We keep discussing patience, kind of knowing what to look for, 
and just discussing what to look for and what tools you can use. But kind of a question you threw out earlier was like, how do people figure out or how do people know of speculations for them? From the way our discussion's looking is, uh, it seems to be like, if you have the patience to wait on a deck that you love, in the case, in my case with Brea, in your case with Ur-Dragon, and right now I'm doing that with Tulane, um, it's just a matter of, if you want to buy on cheap, you gotta have to, whoa, you're gonna need the patience to wait. Is that kind of think what you're thinking? Yeah. De- definitely one of the elements to this, may- maybe even number one, I-, I think there's probably three or four things that you have to think about and evaluate. Number one is definitely patience. You have to have patience. EDH players have the luxury of this, unlike a standard or, you know, my, uh, pot- uh, oh my gosh, pioneer or modern car. Uh, wow. Standard pioneer or modern players they are going to have a much harder time having patience because of the virtue, the, just the necessity of buying into cards to build their decks so that they can go play in a tournament. In the context of EDH, you should have patience because you, there, there is no right or wa- wrong time to build your EDH deck. You can have it ready tomorrow for Friday Night Magic, or you could have it ready in six months from now. And so it's a matter of can you hold out, right? Like it, if your hype level is so high that you have to have a card and you're going to pre-order it, so be it. I don't encourage pre-orders. Just an example of this, I don't encourage pre-orders because almost always, very very seldomly, there might be five cards per per set that if you pre-order them, they will be worth more after pre-orders are over. The other 300 copies of, or you know, 300 new cards or whatever, they'll end up being less. And a lot of them, in most cases, many cases, will end up being worth 25 cents or 50 cents and you'll pay $6, for example. Um, so yeah, patience is huge. If you don't have that, speculation is probably not a good, it's probably not a good place to be because the reality is you'll, you know, you'll second guess yourself and then, and then you know, you might not be as happy with your purchases in general. Uh, the other, The other really important thing is knowing whether you have the time to do it. If you're if you're just in if if you want to learn MTG finance purely to try to play the game cheaper, which is what I I generally encourage for every player. I think that's understanding the basics of MTG finance helps no matter who you are because it helps you save money and just be kind of, you know, cognizant of what you're spending on magic. But if you're actually looking to do it from kind of my perspective, where I actually have a store and I run a store and I, 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 I buy collections and I flip collections, but I also want to stay ahead of the curve. I don't want to be like, like I want to be selling my Mox Opal, Opals two months ahead of the band announcement because I don't, I don't want those in my inventory. They're, they're too high of a risk of a card to have an inventory. So I'll flip those as fast as possible. If they end up getting banned, I, I do have a policy where I refund and, you know, we'll, We'll accept returns on those. Uh, quick plug for Chicago style gaming. I think every vendor should do that. But we, in general, what I am aiming to do with Chicago style gaming is stay on top of the trends. But I, it takes a lot of time, and and I've committed that time. I've gotten it to a place where I've refined how much time it takes. It used to take me, you know, three to four hours a night to go through all the steps that I needed to do to keep my store. kind of like an optimized level that was when i was early on that was you know two maybe three years ago now for me i can do it in 30 minutes um there's there's a lot of 
Wolf of Tin Street just mentioned this in the chat. Automation is king. Absolutely. But going back to your question, or, you know, this question of is finance speculating for you? The question becomes, do you want to spend the time to invest in it to get yourself up to speed to that level? Um, and I think if you pair patience and time together and you decide one or both of those things are not something you're willing to spend you know the time or the patience on then it's not probably for you now that being said the last thought on this if you have one but not the other so maybe you have if you have patience but not time using tools like i mentioned earlier like conviction gaming discord you know our discord and and what we offer there following people on twitter wolf of tin street great great follow on twitter great example he's he's out there posting cards that are you know, on the verge of what we call tipping over, going up in price, find those people on Twitter, find those type of discords, find those type of podcasts, spend the one hour a week to listen to them, or, you know, maybe, maybe spend 15 minutes a day in the discord. You don't even need to spend 15, five to 10 minutes, just a quick read through on your lunch break, for example, and what the latest trends are, what's the news that is so, so, so valuable to staying on top of the overall you know, kind of overall community and the overall market and what's going to be moving in price. Whenever we talk about our articles and stuff, we usually throw out a card or there or two. Um, I remember way before this, when you were originally talking about writing an article about TESA, I'm like, I didn't know anything about finance at the time. I, even now, I hardly know anything. I mostly focus on talking to artists, uh, picking up some altars for my personal collection, and I sell them locally to some friends of mine. As they're willing to pay a premium for them. What was it? Well, yeah, with your article with Tesa, you asked me if there were any interesting cards that I thought about, and I immediately threw out Death Render. And you said you didn't really think about it. Well, there wasn't, you weren't sure about it. And I'm like, give it a minute. Like, what was it, two days later when people started mentioning it on the Quiet Speculation Discord? Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, called it. <laughs> And it did hit a reasonable spike around that time. Not something big, but the foils, the foils specifically went up. I think it's from like Laurel when that card is, and and I think the foils definitely went up. Yeah, oh, I remember that for sure. But no, I think if this is all about, like, I can see what you mean, where it's all about patience, just kind of keeping an eye on everything. That actually gives a lot of really interesting insight and really good insight for some of us here who. Are new. I know some of our listeners here are veterans, as they post onto this chat channel a lot. But my friend Mitch, he's in. Well, he's listening in right now. I know for a fact he has no clue what we're talking about, but hopefully he learns so then he can save on that uh, Thrasios Val Smasher deck he's building. <laughs> I think this is. We're about it's about time to wrap up. See you guys.